0: Father Luke, um, when did you take your Christmas decorations down?
1: Before Candlemas, after Epiphany.
0: When do you When do you put them up?
1: Um, when we have a day to do it and we feel festive, which changes every year.
0: So, twenty twenty two, when did your tree go up?
1: They went. They went up um, sometime in the, like the second week of December. What I about for, you? I
0: forget when my mine went up. Um, uh, just after Lessons in Carol, so, so oh, okay. Advent yeah. um, 2, and um, went down after Epiphany. I asked that yep, yep. because... But um, you,
1: do you do a real tree?
0: I think fake trees are an abomination under the Lord.
1: That's fair. Well, we, we don't have any tree because our cats will uh, knock them down, but we have garland and stuff that is, that is fake, so... We can kind of do whenever we want.
0: So this is not just small talk to uh, begin the podcast. This actually has a practical mm-hmm. theological connection. Today is February 1st, um, tomorrow being the second, 40 days after the nativity of our Lord, ends uh, a nativity cycle yeah. uh, with the Feast of the Presentation of our Lord. And there are traditions, especially our friends in the UK, who will, uh, especially the, the really... Ones with great endurance will keep their decorations up in church and home uh, through tomorrow, through the presentation, which I think is a lovely feast. That, and I'm sure we'll talk about this uh, a bit later about the significance of forty and what that yeah. means. So, as I've said, jokingly in announcements in the in the parish that if. You know, if your tree is up until now, you're not being lazy. You're being you're being orthodox. Yes, yeah, that's, that's right. But if it's up after tomorrow, then you're just being lazy. Yeah. You might as well keep it up until next Advent at that point. And
1: if you can keep a tree alive past Candlemas, that's that's impressive. And good for you. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, yep. and they used to do burning of the greens on on Candlemas, correct? Um, um,
0: I've seen them on Candlemas. I've seen them on Epiphany. Okay. Any time to have an excuse for a big bonfire. Yeah, that's right. It's a
1: good it's, tradition. It's always cold around this time of year, yep. so it is. Well.
0: It is. Yep. So tomorrow is Candlemas. Lead us, lead us into into that collect in this feast. Candlemas,
1: also called the Presentation of Our Lord Jesus Christ, also called the Purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, all sorts of names. But here is the collect of which our uh, prayer book calls the presentation. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we humbly beseech thee that as thy only begotten Son was this day presented in the temple, so we may be presented unto thee with pure and clean hearts by the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the
0: Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. One of my favorite feasts of the church year, I look forward to it every single time. Rich in theological teaching, mm-hmm. uh, rich in liturgical symbolism, um, just beautiful all the way around. So uh, I always look forward to it when it comes around. And there's lots of fun traditions associated
1: uh-huh. with it. Uh, we always make crepes with the, with the youth, um, which I believe is a more of a French tradition, but uh, I think all sorts of people now have kind of adopted the Candlemas crepes tradition. Um, there's all sorts of symbolism that may have come after the fact of just people wanting to eat crepes, but symbolizing the sun and kind of the end of the, the Christmas, the end of the winter. Um, we're looking to spring soon. Um,
0: and and here's, the, here's the issue for us in communicating this feast. We know it's Candlemas, looking forward to spring, what does everyone else know February 2nd Uh, is? Groundhog Groundhog Day Day and Poxitani Field and all that. And so, um, Candlemas is a much, much older tradition. It is. Certainly than than, than Groundhog Day. And while that's fun, um, this one actually has real meaning to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking about the seasons of our life, especially when we get into the Song of Simeon, the mm-hmm, Nunc Dimittis, mm-hmm. and its role in our prayer life I think is especially meaningful, and I yeah. think about it every single day.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, in, in as we transition to Luke 2, which is kind of where we get the uh, presentation scene, there's a lot going on here um, with Simeon, with with simply Mary and Joseph presenting Jesus and the, and the symbolism there. And then with Simeon's words, um, both to, as a prayer, praising God, and then to Mary. And then even, you know, you get Anna thrown in, thrown in at the end. Um, but there's even some nice symbolism there. So there's there's a lot going on. But we'll, we'll start with Luke I mean, 2.
0: Luke 2 is maybe one of the... the... Most dense of all chapters in the Gospels. Right, yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, so. we begin with, and so it came to pass in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Everyone knows that line perhaps by heart. Mm-hmm. And Luke 2 is only 52 verses, and it goes from the first 12 years of his life. The majority of Luke 2 is the first 40 days of his life through verse 40. Uh, but then verse 41, there's a gap of mm-hmm. of from day 40 to... Um, year 12, when he was lost in the temple.
1: Mm-hmm. And then it ends with Jesus increasing in wisdom, and then chapter 3 begins with you know his ministry almost, with John the Baptist kind of paving the way for his ministry. So,
0: Why do you think there is such a, a lacuna, a, such a gap of information in the um, upbringing, the childhood, the youth, adolescence yeah. of Jesus?
1: Um, I think it, what yeah. I always think is interesting is why people obsess about it so much. Mm -hmm. It's led to so much speculation. Um, People say, well... It's a fair question. It it is, it is. Um, We like to know a lot about the life of Jesus, and any detail, you know... And so you get, you know, later apocryphal traditions of Jesus as, as a child, all sorts of ones that people just can't let go of. They find it so fascinating, and I think it's because we're just...
0: Shooting lightning bolts out of his eyes. Yeah, and, you um, know, yeah. I
1: mean, and even in the Quran when he's a boy, he's speaking and, and, and kind of all sorts of little miraculous stories, but people are always trying to fill in those gaps. Um, I, think, I think, practically speaking, um, it doesn't matter for our salvation. Correct. Um, you know, his birth matters, and then his ministry matters. Um, and what happens in between then... Does not matter as much. What I what I really think is is neat, is that there are only one, maybe two, depending on you know how long Joseph actually lives. Um, tradition says he died soon after birth, but we're not sure when. But Mary is probably the only person who knows much of what happened during you know Jesus's adolescence, and there's a real intimacy there. Um, I find that really powerful um, when we think about you know, the intercession of Mary, that is arguably the only person on, on earth in, in the universe who knows some of those stories about Jesus in adolescence. Um, and there's wonderful icons that come out of that, of Jesus taking his first steps and falling yep. into his mother's arms. or A lot of devotional images the, to yeah, the child wor- Jesus. Working in the, in the um, shop with, with Joseph, um, kind of learning how to, you know, build a chair or a table. I mean, that's the day-to-day stuff. Um, which I always think is interesting that we've got these miraculous stories of him later in his life, but it's the ones we don't know about, you know, him falling and scraping his knee, that those ones really stick with us because I think they're so much more relatable to our
0: life. Well, two observations, one that is subtle that maybe people don't always pick up, is that Mary is that thread that goes through the entire Mm -hmm. life of his life from the Annunciation to the cross. Remember, she was at the foot of the cross in John's Gospel, and then Saint Luke has her in the Acts as being in the upper room yeah. at Pentecost from beginning to end. That's point number one or observation number one. Number two is that we have to assume because of the feast that we're about to talk about, forty days according to the law in mm-hmm. Leviticus, that his childhood was um probably extraordinarily normal. Yeah. Um and there's a lot to to take away from that. Mm-hmm is that he lived the life of a boy, you know, with parents. A Jewish boy. A Jewish boy. Um, He did fall and scrape his knee. You know, he did do that sinless, Mm -hmm. but perfectly, completely human at the same time. And um, perhaps there was a bit of uh, an invitation for us to insert our childhood experiences um, to say that his were, at least um, in 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 the way possible, similar or the same. Yeah as ours, which I think is beautiful. There are a lot of devotional images of uh, of the boy Jesus yeah. uh, to remind us of that, that he was a child, mm-hmm. that he grew up, and that we can identify with him completely. Yeah, and uh, just this past
1: Sunday, um, something the kids did in, in formation is trace the holy family's journeys, you know, where where all the Jesus lived when he was a boy. Um, yeah. And sometimes that's relatable for, for kids who have moved around a lot. I mean, we get clues that kind of paint a broad picture, but I think you're right that it's normal. I mean, the the, the little story that Luke includes when he's 12, um, you know, it's it's unusual in that, you know, they lose him and they find him in the but temple. But who hasn't walked away from their parents? But, yeah, Not that, to be in the temple
0: necessarily, no. but it's a. Every but that's a normal has, story. Every parent has had that experience. Yeah. Oh my gosh, where are they? Yeah. Um, I think that to go back to your other point, your other point, which is worth just repeating, is. What is the purpose of the gospel? Mm-hmm. To proclaim uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So the early bits of his life are important because of how they fulfill prophecy. Right. And they connect him with the, the continuous prophecies of, mm-hmm. of, of the Old Testament. And then his ministry, of course, also fulfilling that. Mm-hmm. But those are the things that speak to who he is and his death and resurrection. It's not to say that you're... 1 through 11 and 13 through 32 are not important. But as we have repeated again and again in John's gospel, if all the things he said and did were written down, the world could not contain yeah. the books that would ha- right. have to be written. That's John's way of saying this is only the things that are necessary yeah. for the charisma Th- for enough. the proclamation of the gospel. We're not saying this is all there there is to say. Right,
1: right. That's why prayer can be so powerful to unite ourselves with Jesus we we desperately want to know more about him and in the scriptures we're given enough for our salvation um, that is sufficient but through prayer and, and uniting ourselves with Jesus we kind of feel that intimacy that we might desire from you know wanting to know more about his childhood
0: um, you know but the other thing is getting to the authenticity and the veracity that we can trust the gospels is that they were not eyewitnesses to his childhood mm-hmm I yeah. mean, clearly Luke was not an eyewitness to the to necess- necessarily to his ministry. He was he was doing his research and reporting right. and all that. Nor was Mark. Mark was a scribe of Peter. Mm-hmm. That's where he. But he heard from Peter's mouth, who was an yeah. eyewitness to this. Um, but the other things, I mean, we don't. I mean, they weren't there when he was fourteen, fifteen. Right. So they're not. They're not writing about things of which they have no knowledge, mm-hmm. which I think is. That's the difference of those pseudepigrapha books yeah. of the infancy and childhood of Jesus, where they're clearly just making stuff up yeah. to fill in that gap for the interest of people who are wanting to, to know more. And it's fascinating. <laughs> it it That's why people like man.
1: them. Yep. Yep. All right, well, let's let's dive into Luke 2. Um, we're going to start with verse 22, and, and this whole kind of story runs through verse 38. Um, but because there's... ...kind of different movements in the story. I think we'll read some, stop and discuss... ...and then read some more and kind of continue like that. So let's let's begin with verse 22. And uh, these first three verses actually we'll, we'll stop and talk about. So here's 22 through 24. When the time came for their purification... ...according to the law of Moses... ...they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord every firstborn shall be d- designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So right off the bat, we get a reference to the old law, the Levitical law. And I think this is Leviticus 12. Leviticus 12. Yep, yes. I'm pulling it up. So so as you're getting there, um, basically, you know, fingers. yeah. So, so what, what's happening is they are... Um, doing a, a purification ritual that would happen after after birth, 40, 40 days after a woman gave birth. The the son would be presented um, at the temple. Um, we actually already have the naming and the circumcision ritual, which was eight days after. That's That's these verses right before, but this is a purification offering. So... But let's look at Leviticus quick, and this actually helps us understand something really important about the purity laws.
0: So basically, all of Leviticus 12 deals with this. So there's, there are only nine verses, mm-hmm. um, eight verses, so I'm going to read them quickly. Um, the second half of chapter 12 is what is what is applicable to, to this story. The Lord said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation. She shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. is the holy name. Yep. done that. Then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for sixty-six days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the door of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall make it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from her from the flow of her blood This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean.
1: So, a lot going on here. Um, One thing to always note when people question some of these um, cleanliness in the laws is, well, A... Why do they exist in the first place? That seems um, demeaning because so many of them are associated with women. And then two, why would it be different for a male and a female? And I think both of them um, actually help us answer, or the second actually helps us answer the first. They exist not because of any moral condemnation. This is not saying that to give birth is sinful. It is saying that to give birth is an intense experience that um, health-wise poses many grave risks. And, at the time, and, and you know, this is too much to get into, but the ideas of how the body actually was able to to live and how it worked. Um, obviously, we've made medical advances, and, and back then there was this idea that losing your life fluid uh, was was a, a big deal that actually made you less of, of who you were supposed to be. So, a woman who, and, and life fluid, you know, can be all sorts of things, but blood and water are two big ones, especially when they're related to to birth. Um, and those actions associated with it. So a woman giving birth and that loss of blood and water that makes her vulnerable. Um, we we still believe that today. I mean that's that's still a vulnerable thing, and, and that's why you you know do it in a hospital and around doctors and people who know what they're doing. It's not just a casual thing that you do you know twice a week. Um, but that would make you almost un- incomplete. You you need time to rest. Um, and so a woman you know giving birth. Uh, Needs that time to rest to almost recover her humanity so that then she can participate in the temple sacrifice So it's not about being sinful. It's almost about being prepared to worship And, And right after you give birth, you're not prepared to go to the temple and worship. Think of it like maternity leave you give birth You're not ready to go back to work yet. You're not ready to fully participate in society. You kind of need that protective time and then why is it a different time for men and women they actually thought that men and women grew differently in the yeah. womb, and actually took longer to become who they were. And so, you know, most scholars think, well, they thought men took actually longer to develop in the womb, women not as long. And so, you know, the 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 time it takes on the other side of birth to kind of recover mirrors that. Um, but but again, it's not it's not sin. It's purity.
0: Um, it is. It is uh, incompleteness. Well, let's talk about purity. Uh, And first of all, let us say without hesitation, we fully recognize we are two men having this conversation. We understand. We get that. Um, And um, we speak from a place of great ignorance on that experience and humility of saying um, we're trying to to get to the truth of this and not trying to certainly priest or mansplain anything about this. Whatsoever, and as someone who has three children and whose wife has worked in labor and delivery her entire medical career, you get I, it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So, with with that caveat, I think um, talking about purity, purity is often understandably associated with morality. Though, mm-hmm. I think though cleanliness, cleanliness is cleanliness, next to yes, yeah. um, John Wesley um, said that. I think that one of the ways maybe to think about this is. If you aren't, I mean, if you're going to the Holy of Holies, you're going to offer this. Um, you're going to the place of great sanctity. Yeah. You want. You would want to be whole mm-hmm. and not to have Co- direct, a bodily distraction for yourself. Right. So, so I hope that makes sense. I yeah. don't want to over overstate the case here. So I think there's that practical thing, you know, in, in comfort to give women time mm-hmm. to, to to recover. Yeah. Um, the other thing is. Giving birth is to this day a dangerous thing. Yeah, that is correct. why you have medical professionals. That is why you have prenatal care. Mm-hmm. And I, we we hear the language um, usually when there's a royal birth because we don't typically um, speak in 1662 mm-hmm. prayer book language. But I remember when the Princess of Wales gave birth to her last child. Everyone remembers they put the sign out, and or even the Duchess of Sussex. They put the sign out in Buckingham Palace. And I love this phrase. Um, the, the the princess or duchess or whomever was safely delivered of a child. Yes. yeah. Not that the child is delivered from the mother, yeah. but the woman is sort of delivered from that yeah. experience of the child, recognizing she, I mean, this that's is dangerous. A burden that they take on. It's dangerous. Yeah. The other practical thing is that men can be really unsavory creatures. Yes. And this... Purity law, I think, is a also, in a very real sense, a circle of protection around the mm-hmm. woman. You're unclean. The man can't try to have relations with you. Right. We all know men would probably try to do that, right. not thinking or caring about the state of their wife on that. And so the law gives that built-in protection and space yeah. back off. Right, you know, uh, let, let me heal, let me be with the baby. Mm-hmm. Practical things that, to this day, still make an awful lot of sense yeah. on that. Can you read misogyny in this? I'm sure you can. Mm-hmm. If you want to, you if can you read misogyny to, in you anything. you you can. Yeah. You can. Uh, but I think there's also a lot of, you know, very, very um, decent, holy, and helpful understandings of these texts. Absolutely. So an- another
1: quick thing to bring up is a lot of people will read this... Um, and see Mary and Joseph making this, and if you look back at Leviticus, it says a sin offering, and they will say, "Aha, Mary was offering a sin offering. you know you you can't believe she is sinless or full of grace, as the church has traditionally taught. She is offering a sin offering. And I think to always keep in mind is that especially these these purity laws, again, it was not saying that you have morally committed a, a wrongdoing in the context of these purity laws. It was preparation for worship. And and Mary and Joseph, I mean, you know, acting according to these things, um, they are Jewish. That is that is the custom. They are fulfilling the law. They are fulfilling the law. Even if Mary doesn't need to make the sin offering, she actually does participate in the purity offering as anybody else would, because that does not mean that she sinned. Because the law required that
0: she do that. Yes. And even if she is full of grace, to not follow the law would yes. be... A transgression Absolutely. against the law. Yeah, in a similar way, not not exactly the same, but the way we understand the baptism of our Lord, he was baptized. Absolutely. but he was not. He was. He did not need to repent right. for anything. And I was to, going to bring up the, the circumcision. Yes, Does Jesus
1: need that to be part of God's covenant. Nope. No, he is God's covenant. No, but he's trans- but he's forming this.
0: Correct. You know, he's shed his he's blood for the first time it. for us. Yes, yeah. this is this is not a separate rogue movement. This is completely coming from you know Abraham, Isaac, yeah. Jacob. Isaiah, all the prophets, and the law.
1: Yeah. So don't don't let anybody tell you. Well, Mary can't be sinless. She offers a sin offering. Um, that's a, that's a shallow reading of this text. So let, let's continue. Oh, the last thing uh, the parrot turtle does. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that is the 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 poor offering. Um, just kind of another sign that Mary and Joseph are not um, earthly royalty, but their but their son will be um, spiritual royalty over over all the other kings. But they are making the poor offering. And the interesting part is, they still fulfill the the normal offering also the unblemished lamb. Correct. That's Jesus Christ.
0: So that's the two interpret. That's the, the beautiful part of this is to, I know it was probably a few minutes since I've read this, but there were two offerings. There is, there is the the regular offering of um, of the lamb, mm-hmm. um, for the burnt offering, and then a young pigeon or a turtle dove for mm-hmm. a sin offering. And then in verse eight it says, if you can't afford a lamb. Then you take two turtle doves and two young pigeons. You do one for the burnt offering and the other for the sin offering. And, mm-hmm. there's, and but what we're saying here is that it's all fulfilled because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, mm-hmm. you know, presented in the temple. Um, and then we have that that concession for poverty. And the saints talk about that the turtle dove represents chastity, yeah, because turtle yeah. doves apparently mate for life. I don't know who yeah. follows the mating yeah. habits of birds, but clearly someone does, and that the pigeon is a sign of simplicity, hmm. um, and so you know all of these wonderful de- again devotional readings right. um, come forward from this to help us think about the the real complexity and power of the presentation. Yeah. I mean, there's, this is why I said it's one of my favorite feasts because it's so rich, it and is. the and the more we're just in Leviticus twelve, we haven't yeah. even gotten any further right. to what was happening. So,
1: three verses in let let's continue. let's get through um, Simeon's you know praise, the, the Numinus, so we'll start up in verse twenty five and read through verse thirty two Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory to your people Israel. So here we get introduced to the character Simeon. Um, We get his praise that we say every day at evening prayer. Um, And one of my favorite reminders every day is that uh, we say this after we read the gospel. Um, After we actually encounter Jesus in the gospels, um, we say, the same words that Simeon says when he encounters Jesus Christ in the temple. So the character of not Simeon... only
0: that. Let me go. I mean, this this is this is my favorite part devotionally. Is that all the all of the canticles, the mm-hmm. songs, after um, after the readings in morning and evening prayer, and then traditionally it was compline. You would you would say or sing one of the th- the three canticles from Luke, the Magnificat, the um, I mean, the Benedictus, the Magnificat, and the Nunc Diminis, these are all Latin phrases for the opening lines. Mm-hmm. So the Benedictus, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Magnificat, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And Nunc Diminis, um, Lord, now let us all thy servant depart in peace. I always love the devotional part of it. That we begin the day with the um, prophes- oh, the song of Zechariah, the yeah. father of John the Baptist, in, in anticipation for uh, the of Jesus' coming. Mm-hmm by the birth of the forerunner, um, John the Baptist. So we begin the day looking for Jesus. And then um, during the day, we become pregnant with anticipation. My soul doth magnify the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then as we end the day, upon reflection, recognizing that we have seen Jesus Christ, he's been with us the whole time, then we can end the day by saying, now I can go in peace, Mm -hmm. both to sleep but also at the end of my life right. that um, I've I've seen the salvation of God and, and glory be to him and, and thanks be to God for that.
1: Which is why conflict always had the traditional words, grant me a peaceful death. Absolutely. Or, uh, yep. Restful end and peaceful, yep. whatever it is. Um,
0: peaceful night and a perfect end. That, that's what it was. Yep.
1: That's what it was. Perfect end or perfect death. Um, Simeon is obviously a prophetic figure as well.
0: Um, the Holy we see, Spirit was upon him. This is before Pentecost, right. so the Holy Spirit was resting, sent by God to individuals, not given to the whole right. To the whole, you know, whole world. Community. Yep,
1: community. And then revelation by the Spirit in verse 26, yep. and then guided by the Spirit in verse 27, he enters the temple. Um, that,
0: Telling us that this was not his own Idea. Right,
1: right. This is all preparing him to then make his make his proclamation.
0: And that tells us that for us to see Jesus and to recognize him, we also need to be in the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and to and to ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to guide us. Yes. It's not that Christ is hidden from us, Christ is all around us, Christ is near us, before us. Mm-hmm. Um but we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. so that our eyes may be opened.
1: Yeah, Simeon always um, stands out to me because here's something I hear a lot. Um, people will say, if I could just see Jesus sitting in front of me, then I would really believe. Yeah. if I could if Jesus would just come and show himself, why don't he do, then I would actually believe. And I think Simeon is a perfect reminder that that's not quite what we mean, I think because Simeon sees Jesus. But he sees an ordinary baby. I mean, physically, he is holding an ordinary baby. The only reason he is able to to see it as, what, the salvation of God, which is a loaded word there, seeing your salvation, is because he has the Spirit. He has eyes of faith that have perceived it beforehand so that when he sees it physically, it actually has meaning for him. So when people say, I wish I could just see Jesus, well, without eyes of faith, you would just be seeing a man. I mean, it is, it is not as simple as that. We... We always need faith. It's not as if the people who lived around when Jesus and actually saw him with their eyes didn't need faith. The proof of that is all the people that reject him. We, we all need to be guided by the Spirit. Um, we, I mean, take, take it to a, a sacramental point of view. We see Jesus every Sunday in the host, but without eyes of faith, it just looks like an ordinary piece of bread. Yeah. Yeah. With eyes of faith, we join Thomas in saying, my Lord and my God. We actually see Jesus in the bread. So when, when, when people say, I wish Jesus would just show up here and, and, and prove once and for all that he's really him, I think unfortunately that wouldn't do it for some people still. We we always yeah. need the spirit to guide us.
0: And just two two observations on what you said, we we have to see Jesus in the sacrament with the eyes of faith mm-hmm. does not mean that he's not objectively present. That's right. But but his presence is activated to us when we have when right. we have faith. Yeah. Thomas Aquinas talks about that. Mm-hmm. We're not denying at all his objective presence whether right. you believe he's there or not, he is there. Mm-hmm. But the benefit is is yeah. comes through faith. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, and we'll get into Anna. Yeah. But as I read it, the distinction between the two is that Anna lived in the temple. Mm-hmm. Simeon, we do not seem to have any evidence that he was living there or even there every day. Right. Right. But um, what I think is, we need to remember is that both of these individuals, inspired by the Holy Spirit, knew that if they were going to see the consolation of God. They needed to go to the temple. The temple,
1: yeah.
0: And it's that great line that's, that. I, gosh, I wish it was mine. I've heard it quoted by many different people that says, you know, there is water in the air, mm-hmm. but if you're thirsty, you go to the tap. Yes, God, uh, the presence of God is everywhere. God fills all right. things. But if you want to uh, encounter God, you go to the church. Yeah. You go to the sacrament. Yeah, And... I think as we are yearning and groping in our spiritual journey, and often people are wanting, again, to go back on on the homily on Sunday, I talked about people um, struggling with faith and and don't realize that faith is a struggle. Mm -hmm. We have to actually go where he's promised. Right. And where was God promised? In the temple. Mm -hmm. That's his presence. That's the Holy of Holies. Where was God promised? In the sacrament, Mm -hmm. in the prayer. And there are models for that. Yeah, and... The whole point of that is that God doesn't go back on his
1: promises. Um, God has promised to be present in the sacraments. Um,
0: he's making it easy for yeah. us. I am <laughs> I mean, here. He's 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 trying to... This is not national treasure where you have he, to yeah. go and find all these clues and unlock saying, him. No, look, he's right here. Just
1: do this yeah. and do this, yeah. and I'm there. Um and it literally says do this and yeah, remember so that's what I'm saying me. yeah yes. so so the the youth and i this past sunday were we were talking about um sacramental validity and, and and the point i made is you know people get concerned about well why do you have to say the exact same words jesus did and and, and have to use what jesus did and and you know i, I forget um, um which church father said this it's not as if if you don't do that, you know that God's not there. But if you do do that, that is God's promise that He will be there. He's trying to make it easy for well, us I mess to with say, it. right? Yeah. If it's if it's good enough for Jesus, yes. it's good enough for us, um, and Jesus is is giving us that as a gift. I mean, that is why this is a gift of grace. That. When you do this, I will be there. I mean, this is the promise he makes to Israel. I will be your God and you will be my people if you follow these commandments. It's the same thing he makes to us. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me and, and my grace will be there for you. I mean, that is tremendous news for us. And where is that found? It's found in the temple, in the church. Yep. So a uh, couple points on on his song of praise um, before we move on to um, his words to Mary Um, The glory to your people Israel, or the glory of Israel, I really like that phrase. Um, And Cyril of Alexandria says that Christ is the glory of Israel because he comes out of Israel according to the flesh. And what I think this is a reminder of is that Jesus is historically situated. Um, There's a, I forget who said this, but there is a wonderful reading of, of Israel as God chooses the, the Hebrew people so that he can have Mary. Mary is that, that Hebrew woman that almost is, a, is the culmination of, of all of those Old Testament genealogical struggles that brings us to Mary so that God can have her, um, and that is his entrance into the world. So a reminder that simply Jesus being who he is, is the glory of Israel, because he is that that Hebrew man that has come to fulfill everything that has come before And him.
0: he's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles, all yeah, people.
1: yeah. For, for all people. So he is the glory of Israel. He is that, that final culmination, and then now he is that, that light um, for all of the Gentiles. And then, you know, the, the power of the phrase when Simeon says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, Jesus Christ stands as the salvation of God. Um, we see in the Psalms, you know, this, this phrasing come up time and time again, um, from him cometh my salvation. Or even back in Exodus, um, when Moses says, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Um, this theme of longing for the salvation of God, now Simeon actually holds him in his hands. I mean, there's,
0: there's a lot of power there. But things aren't all... Roses and cupcakes here in verse 33, right. where we're told that his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I mean, I think that, I mean, they knew, they knew what they had heard, yeah. but there's confirmation now outside their experience. Right. And um, what, a, what an amazing thing. But then Simeon blesses them and says to Mary, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many of in Israel. He's the glory of thy people, Israel. Yeah. But his very presence will will be about will initiate the rising and fall of many and a sign that is spoken against and for a sign that is spoken against and here here's here's this this phrase we should talk about mm-hmm. and a sword will pierce through your own soul also talking to to mary mm-hmm. that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed um and these this is the Great devotion of the of the seven sorrows of Mary. Mm-hmm. Of got a a painting of it here. Yeah. That, I'll, that I'll throw up on the screen. This is uh, in Spain, actually. Yep. So the seven sorrows of seven sorrows of Mary uh, Mary Dolorosa, I don't have them all memorized, but they're everything from the first one, of course, is Simeon's prophecy. Mm-hmm. There is uh, the flight to Egypt. Yep. There is um, losing Jesus in the temple. Again, every mother who's yep. lost a child in the grocery store or yep. wherever knows that pain. There is seeing him on the cross. There is uh, his death on the cross, mm-hmm. and I'm missing you know one or two others. But but yeah. you get the point of of every time that happened, it was a dagger into her heart. Was, yeah. So we talked about the struggle of faith. This is this is the savior, the Messiah of the world. Yet when we are close to him. We will also, to be close to him means to share in his sufferings. Right. To be united with his crucifixion as Paul picks up on. We cannot be united to his resurrection without also being united Mm -hmm. to his cross, which is how we die to ourselves, that we may rise with him. And so, um, again, Mary's role in our devotion and understanding of, of following Jesus is so vital because here she is in this painting as a woman who... Who saw this all and never left him, yet was wounded, yeah, because of seeing her own child um, suffer and and to know, to know beforehand or to have some understanding this was happening, and yet to to experience it after that is um, is something that we can neither fully understand nor want to. Yeah, so so painful.
1: One of the uh, wonderful connections I love in these verses, uh, something that you're old professor Luke Timothy Johnson actually makes is, is uniting Mary and Israel together. So um, we, we have this reference that the presence of Jesus will um, be for the rising and falling of many in Israel, or that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. Simply that his presence is the glory of Israel, but we, we know what ends up happening. Some accept him and some reject him. And there is that um, nature of Jesus almost being a wedge. Um, not that he's coming to divide people, but that his very presence demands something of people and He's some the will plumb ex- line. Yeah some will accept that, some will reject it. The same thing happens internally to Mary too. He is, he is um, revealing the inner thoughts of Mary and, and he almost is that dagger into her heart. But we see Mary in, in Israel almost together um, that kind of Mary personifies all of Israel, all of those expectations and longings they come to fulfillment in the person of, of Mary. And in her, just like in Israel, is contained the salvation of the world. Um, and so, you know, obviously we get the, the devotional aspect of the sorrows of Mary, but we also kind of get her her um, elevated role in, in our salvation, that um, all of the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament are kind of brought to a head in, in her. Um, and it is it is she is kind of that final gate that salvation goes through to enter into the world, yeah. um, there's something powerful there.
0: You know, and this is why uh, when we talk about the rhythm of prayer, the liturgical calendar, these devotions, they're not just baseball cards that we collect, yeah. you know, and keep. I mean, they really they really teach us the faith. And so, for instance, I know the image that you just took down, or is it still up? I don't know. So th- this is in Spain. Um but they're in Jerusalem in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre on um Golgotha between the in, on Golgotha and calvary there, there's there's a, a the Greek chapel and mm-hmm. then there 's the latin chapel and they're they're i mean they 're close together but right there at the latin chapel is um is the, the Sorrows of Mary right next to um the real sort of popular famous uh, Greek chapel where yeah. you go and put your hand and and touch the bedrock on all that. So you have, even at that spot of his crucifixion, the image of her sorrows of uniting herself to um, to him and his sorrows. But also liturgically, the Feast of the Holy Cross is September 14th, and the Feast of the Sorrows of Mary is September 15th. Yeah. So liturgically, they are together exactly as you see them in iconography.
1: You know That's On great. Calvary, yeah.
0: they're together, teaching us that... To follow him is to pick up our cross and follow him. And it's again, it's not as if we just believe in Jesus and then it's champagne wishes and caviar dreams until mm-hmm. the day we die. Yes, there's joy and goodness, absolutely. But there's also real struggle. We have to yeah. again, as Timothy as Paul said to Timothy, fight a good fight of yeah. faith and, and to and to deny ourselves that we may rise with him.
1: We've been going about forty minutes. We'll try to keep this under an hour. Do you have any any final comments to make about Anna, and then we'll kinda of talk about the Feast of Candlemas and kind of end with a um prayer book tradition of the churching of women.
0: I would just say about Simeon and Anna is these are people who are of, of age, mm-hmm. their patience, their constancy and fidelity. Yeah. Um Anna was eighty four and did not depart from the temple. Yeah. Worshipping with fasting and prayer at night and day, um, and I think what's interesting about the difference between um, Simeon and Anna is that Simeon was a devout man, inspired by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple, mm-hmm. and that's where he saw Jesus. Anna was in the temple mm-hmm. already, according to you know her her custom, uh, and then while she was there. Um, um, she gave thanks to God and yeah. and spoke to Jesus I and mean, spoke of Jesus. So Simeon was led there. Anna, after already being there, um, the nature of the son of God was revealed yeah. to her. So two people, you know, two different, um, they all ended Passed up in the temple, Jesus. but yeah. two, but yes, one always being there and then one being moved to go into the temple for that purpose.
1: Well, let's talk a bit about Candlemas um, and the feast there. So, um, for, for anybody who has not been um, to a, a Candlemas Mass, um, that traditionally there is a a period of the blessing of candles in a procession
0: that kind of goes before the Mass. Hence the name Candle Mass. Yes.
1: Yep. Yeah. So this is when you would get your, your candles for your home blessed throughout the year. Um, would they bless the, the church's candles for the rest of the year as well? Yeah. So okay. typically
0: what would happen, I mean, in, in, the, in the Middle Ages, especially in England, big, big, big feast, mm-hmm. um, there are... Depending on the wealth of the parish, a couple of traditions that we see: one, all the candles of the for the whole year would be blessed. Also, people would come and bring money for the purchase of candles gotcha. for the rest of the mm-hmm. year, um, candles to put in your home mm-hmm. um, to be blessed. So, um, but this is before artificial illumination. Yeah. I mean, that's why it was probably a much bigger deal. Than it is than there. it is now um, and probably not kept very widely outside right. of the churches that have the established tradition to keep this feast um, because you know especially being in the northern hemisphere in you know in February it's dark mm-hmm. um, the higher up you go and so that that need for a candle yeah. had, was was of great significance to them um, but also at the end of the end of the nativity cycle and all the wonderful things that are there. But they would use candles in the church more than we do. I mean, so right. obviously St. Timothy's, we use a lot of candles, but they're purely for devotion. Except so uh, for one day a year and, yes. where we force it to yeah. be, you know, our... our but um, even then, you mean the Rorate Chile yes, Mass, but yes. even then we're doing it because we can. Correct, yeah. We, we, we force it to try to make ourselves use the candles. To understand the play of light and right. dark. We clearly right. could turn the lights on. I mean... There is no practical need for candles on the altar now. Now, they're, now they purely are symbolic, right. um, theological expression, devotional uses, devotion. Yeah. But but before, it was um, completely um, completely uh, practical and devotional. That's why the Easter vigil would take place oftentimes in the morning, right. because you couldn't do it in the evening because yeah. you couldn't see yeah. um, without without any kind of illumination on that. But um, processions taking the candles, and I love. I love the image of a candle, and I love the power of candles and holding a candle. I've, I've preached here many times mm-hmm. that I think lighting a candle is an act of protest. Yep. It's an act of protest against darkness. It is. By lighting a candle, you are saying, I stand against darkness and the forces of darkness, mm-hmm. and I am with light. And I am willing to go in the darkest of times, literally in the evening, right. also in the world, also within myself, and I am, I am countering that with the light of Christ. And when I hold this candle and light this candle, that is what I'm saying to myself. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying to the community. That is what I'm saying to the world. So yeah. just a powerful. And that's why when you know there's, we see in, in Memphis, people have candlelight vigils. Right? Or every time there right. is a, a shooting or tragedy, people come together in the dark, recognizing we live in dark times. Yeah. But they are not without hope. Yeah, we kind of intuitively know that candle symbolism. Absolutely. Yep.
1: We did a procession for Saint Lucy's Day um, as part of our Advent traditions, and we, you know, got got all sorts of ranges of ages to kind of join in that protest, almost. That you know, with Saint Lucy's Day, you know, you're close to the winter solstice, but it is it is cold and dark, and we are carrying that candle out. Practically speaking, you know, people are going to look at you and wonder, what are you, what are y'all doing? Um, and spiritually that, that we kind of mirror that, that in, in a time when there is spiritual apathy, in a time when people don't want to be reminded of anything religious because it seems too much, um, keep it to yourself, keep it private. We, we almost say, no, we can't. So we're going to walk out into the streets with these candles. Um, do not because care we, how bizarre we look. Yeah, because yeah. we, we, we have something special. Um, we have something worth, you know, proclaiming, um, Simeon, we, we join, my soul doth, or uh, Mary, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Um, we can't help but from the depths of our being, you know, proclaim that. Yeah, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. I was, I was looking at um, if there are any, you know, real sim, symbol, uh, symbolic imagery of, of a candle, um, you know, literally the makeup of a candle. And St. Anselm has a, has a really interesting one. Um, In the body you, and soul of Jesus? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah, I, yeah. I, I had actually never heard that, yeah, but St. But... Anselm says the wax of the candle signifies his flesh, the wick is his soul, soul. and the flame is his divinity. Um, I'm not sure everyone who lights a candle is necessarily thinking of that, but it's a, it's a very neat devotional image um, of humanity, you know, his body and soul, and then his divinity kind of inflaming all of that. Um, yeah. I, thought that was, I thought that was really neat. Well, let's conclude by talking about a prayer book ritual. Um, I don't know how much time we'll have to get into it, but uh, for for anybody who doesn't know of this already, um, it used to be called The Churching of Women. It is now called, like in our 79 prayer book, let me grab it, it is called The Thanksgiving for for, uh, a Woman or Women After Childbirth. Um, uh, Or the adoption of a child. Or the adoption, yeah. yeah, So 79 added the adoption of a child um, to kind of recognize, you know, Right, became so, yeah. more more prevalent, um, but you know so, some background on it, kind of before we dive in. It has never been a a expectation or a, a mandatory right. Um, I think you know one of the popes who early on, right when the right was becoming popular, and it kind of started as as more custom, you know, local custom and. And he was very clear that this is not an expectation, but this is a pious devotional imagery. And, and the reason I think that that is helpful is because it avoids us making the connection that is kind of there that we, we can't help but make, but with the purification laws um, of a woman after childbirth, like Mary, coming to the temple, making her purification offerings. Um, that was required, that was expected. This obviously is drawing on similar imagery but it is not expected because those purity laws um, are not binding to us anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's helpful because this is not trying to force something on a woman that is saying, you are you are unclean as they were back then. Now you have to be made clean. No, it's actually a recognition that the same reason childbirth was so important back then and so vulnerable still exists today. Yeah. And how do we offer a similar pastoral response to a woman Um Recognizing that they will probably be apart from church for a time, rightfully so, um, especially depending on the severity of, of the birth. So, how do we welcome them? Not because them back? they're morally impure. They exactly. Need, they need to heal. Exactly. Um, it is. A, it is a, actually a similar idea. They've not sinned, yep. but they need that time away, and then and to the baby. Welcome them the back,
0: baby needs to get some immunity and yeah. get some yeah. strength and all that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, so, um, and and and. I'll make this point briefly. So if you look at, like, uh, I've got the 1928 prayer book here. I've got one of the early Roman rites, um, Thanksgiving of Women After Childbirth. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me, so just real short, the 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 service is maybe five, ten minutes. Um, you say a psalm, there's a couple prayers. And it's basically a way to, to ritually, you know, say to the woman, thanks be to God for a safe delivery, yeah. or... Um, we pray for a child that has not made it through. Um, it is very pastorally sensitive, especially um, some, some um, later editions kind of add extra prayers for if the child has died. Well, we say this prayer instead. We still thank God for delivering the woman, but we also recognize that there is there's some pain here, um, and so I, I think it, I think it has the opportunity to be a very pastorally sensitive service. But um, there is some some prayers, you know, you close it the Our Father um, and and some thanksgivings to God. But here's something I want to point out that I think is really interesting. The 1928 opens by saying, "The woman at the usual time after her delivery." Again, it does not specify a time. It's kind of saying whenever whenever okay shall come into the church um, kneeling in a convenient place, and the minister shall say unto her. Who is present in that service explicitly? It's just the minister and the woman. Um, I actually think that that is worth pointing out because one of the things that I don't like that the 1979 changed is now it says, and, and I get it. There's, there's some, there's some um, reasons for doing this, but the 1979 rubrics say that the child the parents other members of the family should come into the church to be welcomed by the congregation it's much more of a public celebration i get that i think there's actually something about the intimacy of the woman you know by herself um practically she she might be a kind of been in isolation for a while and to make that slow transition she might not be ready for you know hundreds of people on sunday morning but simply coming back to the space especially if, you know, like this old Roman, right, if the child has, has died, um, they might not want the congregation and other members of the family. And there might to, be a pastoral sensitive approach to say, just the woman. I mean, there doesn't need to be a, a big deal made of it. Yeah, and
0: just to specify, um, this is not, in the 28, the, the ideal or the, the understanding is you're not going to their home. Correct. To do this. So it's not as if the priest is going to the woman by right right. themselves. And no,
1: this is the woman making her own to the church. Yeah, her own. It's time. Um, this is you know my um, intent. This is my you know.
0: And not all women have fathers who are around.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That was that was my next point. Yeah. Is um, um, and and just practically. I mean, look, as two men sitting here, we don't do anything during birth. Nope. Um You know, I always. I think it's funny when, when um, fathers, you know, tell this story about, oh, then let me cut the umbilical cord. And it's almost like, well, I hadn't done anything until then. So, but kind of a recognition that
0: the woman has been through a traumatic event. We didn't have the fear, yeah. the anxiety, the, the pain, pain. Yeah. all of that. And, yeah. and again, three Health children, I recognize my role was, is not even, I mean, I had a role, but let's not get ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, I understand my wife did all of the work. Right. Yeah, which All is you know people always make
1: the the comment about you know the father feels like a father at at the birth, the mother feels like a mother you know as soon as she finds out absolutely. she's pregnant. I mean that yep. there's, there's yep. absolutely, but so I understand what the seventy nine is doing and trying to make trying to encompass more people that there might be other people who are not The seventy
0: nine assumes it's in the church, does it? It does not. Yeah. It actually says it says it
1: could follow yeah. the evening prayers or um, when desired, a briefer form of the service may be used, especially at the hospital or home. Yeah. But uh, you know. It really does change the service. Yeah. Um, whereas the twenty-eight and the older rites, I think it's it's intimate with the woman. It gives her the agency to say, "I'm whenever I'm ready to come to the church." And it's actually a recognition that um, she is the one who just went through the traumatic experience. So this is a this is a service wholly focused on her um, and the child, obviously. But um, again, you know, explicitly making clear that this is not a, a purification offering. Yeah. Um, there actually are. You know some some rubrics that say you know the woman might might bring an offering, but as more of a votive offering
0: of thanksgiving for you know yeah. a healthy birth. Twenty eight um, says she should bring something right. again. Not that's not to pay off the priest. Right. It's yeah. just it's an act of natural gratitude.
1: Must offer a custom offerings, which shall be applied by the minister in the church to the relief of the distressed woman in childbed. Um, it's yeah. very pro woman. It is. It is. And that's kind of the point right? I'm yeah, talking yeah. about is is when you actually. The seventy nine might have been thinking, let's be more expansive and yep. bring in more people. It actually takes the focus off the woman. Um, it, could. She, it could, yeah, it could, it yeah. could. Um, not always, but you know, the, the whole point is people hear churching of women. Um, you might, you might be, you know, inclined to make a bad assumption. We're not and fixing think, them. Yeah, this is not fixing a woman. Yeah. This is actually giving the woman an opportunity to say. Whenever it's time and you want to be welcomed back, let's 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 do it in a ritual way that lets you kind of say some prayers and and give thanks to God for making for for delivering
0: you through this this traumatic event. Again, I would think I would think, and I have to say I would think because I've 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 only been my role's been been different as as the father. I would think that there is a lot of anxiety for mothers about when they do come back to church Mm -hmm. with their child. Especially the first child. Yeah. You know, we know that the more you have, the probably the less your anxiety right. shifts a bit. Um, and this is in a a way that, I mean, I, I've talked to mothers who like, yeah, I, I don't want to come back too soon. Everyone's going to want to hold the child, right. look at the child, you know. Mm. And now COVID's a whole new ball yes. of wax yeah. here on this. And I, th- I think what, the point we're making is these old liturgies that may be viewed as relics of the past yeah. and be viewed of relics of, a, you know, of of a time in which treatment of women wasn't wasn't um, where it should be. It wasn't right, not an equality of them of treatment. I think we're actually making the case that maybe not so fast. Yeah, maybe maybe clearly maybe it has been applied that way, but the power and the mm-hmm. truth and the point of this from, from Leviticus, in Luke 2 and in our liturgies, we might be able to, to have a reappraisal yeah. of its role and purpose. Um, and bring it to our current context and I think the reason why we don't I've done Churching of the of women handful of times in 18 years right probably because most women don't know it's it's it exists it exists yeah. and even more so I haven't made it uh, uh, a point to um, offer it right and to right. And make this available it's in our newsletter every week mm. if you would like Thanksgiving yeah. whatever um, commonly called churching of women, let us know. But, but we need to, to do a better job of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, one final point I'll make about it is I actually love this idea that, um, I mean, just practically speaking, from the outside, what, is, what does the woman look like um, that we just read in the scriptures? It's, it's doing what Mary did, um, it is being like Mary, it is taking your child to the temple, to the church giving thanks and offering it to God. There's almost a sense in which um, through this through this rite, the women actually are uniting themselves with with Mary, who is, you know, the mother of all. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful. I, I think that actually, and it's something men can't do, actually. They, they don't have that experience. They don't have that same level of intimacy with the Virgin Mary. So I, I think there's a lot of, of powerful devotions to come from this, you know, short, short right. that might last five, six minutes um, mm-hmm. if it's not accompanied by, you know, communion or, or yep. other prayers. So um, there's a lot of power here, but I think you're right. There are some relics of the past that um, might actually be worth recovering and, and can end up being very, very powerful aids to people here and now. Um, we've discovered that with, with all sorts of things, um, and I think the, the church in of women might actually be another one. I agree. Any final thoughts on Candlemas presentation purification? We covered a lot. We did Where, it in wherever, an hour. I'm wherever, proud of us.
0: Wherever you are on February 2nd, if you're here in Winston, to um, join us. Mm-hmm. If um, if you're not, try to find some way to actually mark the day yeah. as the, Light 40, the 40th day after the birth of our Lord. Light a candle. Find the collect. Um, pray it. Uh, we I mean we recognize you can't. We, we all aren't Simeons and Annas. Yeah that have the ability because of all kinds of life situations to be present at all the liturgies. We get that, we understand that. Um, But you can find a small way in -hmm. your day. Lighting a candle is the perfect way. Do that. Say the Nunc Dimittis, or meditate on on the on the presentation of our Lord. Meditate on Simeon's prophecy to Mary, mm-hmm. uh, and about uniting our own um, sufferings with that of Jesus. Those are powerful ways to mark the day so that it doesn't go by just simply, "Poxitani Phil, how yeah. many more you know weeks of winter?" Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, let your day be focused on on um, our Lord and not Bill Murray. Yes. Know, and, and, and take down your christmas decorations Ta- yeah, please you do have that. that
1: please do that let's close with the our father our father who, who art, art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name thy, thy kingdom come thy will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven give us, us this day our, day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass, trespass against, against us. us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the
0: power and the glory forever Forever and and ever. ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.